this week. We have been talking about it for two weeks already. Shadows of Golgotha. This is our third week when we actually going to go over the Old Testament. And we're going to try to see shadows and pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. Again, I want to show you guys in the next few weeks or whatever that the cross is God's focal point from all eternity to all eternity. Amen? The cross was not just a sudden plan B thing that God decided to do when Adam fell in sin. And God was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? And then, oh, let's try to figure out, you know, about the cross or think maybe the cross will solve the problem. The cross is God's focal point from all eternity to all eternity. And we want to prove that from the scripture. Amen. This is our third week. First week, we just had an introduction. We just spoke about different verses throughout the Bible that shows us just that. How the cross is the focal point throughout the scripture. The cross is God's focal point since the creation of man. And even before that, since the very beginning of the age, God has Jesus in mind and had the cross in mind to redeem mankind. Right? That was first week. Last week, we started talking about the very first picture in the Old Testament about the cross. Anybody remembers last week what we talked about? Well, good. I'll preach it again next week then. <laughs> we uh, spoke from Genesis 3.15. That is the promise. While God was cursing the serpent in Genesis 3, he made a promise that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Amen? The good news is this. Next week, Sister Laura told me that she have uh, gifts and presents to those who remember so make sure you study for next week, all right? So you might get something, okay? <laughs> all right, so this week we're going to continue that. We're going to try to look at the next picture that we see in the scripture for the cross. And this scripture today, the second picture, we're going to see it in Genesis chapter 3, still the same chapter, but verse 20. But I'm going to read um, different parts of that chapter, and then I'm going to read a couple of verses from the following chapter, so this way you can have kind of idea what's going on during that time. So we're going to read random parts from Genesis 3-7 to Genesis 4-5. That's in your notes. In Genesis 3-7, here is what the Bible says, then the eyes of both of them, that's Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Verse 21, chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And then we're going to skip to chapter 4, verses 2 to 5. Now Adam and Eve out of the garden, they have kids, Abel and Cain. And we read this. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of the time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil as a what? As an offering as a gift he's bringing a gift to God he's doing something nice um, as an offering to the Lord and Abel also brought an offering fair portions of some of the firstborn of his flock and the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering but on Cain and his offering did not look with favor so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast amen so let me just wrap up some of the high points of that story and then we'll try to break it down a little bit. God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden so they can keep an eye on it, so they can work in that garden. And then the serpent, which 
If you remember from last week, we said that is the devil, Satan, the old serpent, as the book of Revelation say, came and he deceived Eve to eat from the one tree that God told her not to eat from it, okay? So Eve ate, he gave her husband, Adam, he ate, they both disobeyed God and did the one command that he told them not to do. Don't eat from that one tree. And they both disobeyed God. So God... When Adam and Eve ate from that tree and they disobeyed God, the Bible said their eyes were open and they discovered that they were naked, right? And then the Lord started coming and he was walking in the garden looking for them. And when Adam and Eve heard the voice of God, what do they do? They run and they hide. So God starts looking for them and he's calling, Adam, man, where are you? And God and Adam said, I heard your voice and I ran ahead because I knew I was naked and I cannot see you anymore. I cannot face you anymore. And God was like, you know, who told you you're naked, right? John Bavir, great preacher, one time said this. said, how many of you guys know when God asks a question, he's not looking for information, right? <laughs> so God wasn't looking for information. He was just trying to get Adam to talk about what happened and confess his sin. But Adam, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I did wrong, he started blaming the woman. And the woman bla blamed the serpent. So God cursed three of, like, pronounced judgment on three of them. On the serpent, on Eve, and on Adam, right? And after that, the Bible tells us that God, when Adam and Eve fell, they just discovered that they're naked. They just brought some fig trees and they made some some sort of like a, a covering so they can cover their nakedness. But after God pronounced that judgment on them, the Bible said that God made tunics. God made garments of skin and he covered them. Sort of a tunic that covered them from the neck all the way down to the knee. And God made that kind of covering for them from skin and, if, and he kicked them out of the garden and then they left the garden, and outside, Adam and Eve got married, have two kids, Abel and Cain, and we read that story here, that they both were bringing gifts to God. Abel brought the, the firstborn of his uh, sheep, and he offered it to God, and God accepted that. Cain, on the other hand, brought some of the, first, of the fruits that he got out of the land, but God looked at it, and he did not accept it. That's, that's the story that we're reading so far. Amen? And in that verse, in, in Genesis 3.20, when the Bible says that God made tunics of skin, garments of skin, and he covered Adam and Eve, I believe that we here see another picture of the cross, another type, another shadow of God, what God had in mind that he will fulfill thousands and thousands of years later. Amen? So, in this story, I want to highlight three points with you. Three points. Number one. I want to tell you about man's attempts for salvation, man's trial to achieve salvation. Number two, I want to talk about God's way of salvation, okay? And number three, I want to talk about man's role in salvation, in God's salvation, okay? So let's say these three points together so I know that you're following me. Number one is man's attempts for salvation. Number two, God's way of salvation, God's only way of salvation. And number three man's role to achieve or accomplish to to have his part in god's salvation so let's start with number one man's attempt of salvation we know that from the story when adam and eve opened ate that fruit and their eyes were opened and they know that they sinned against god what is the first thing they do they they take the fig leaves and they make covering for themselves you see the mindset 
when they knew that they broke the commandment of God, they immediately start working on trying to redeem what they have done, trying to fix the sin that they have committed before God, right? And they thought that through the stuff they can do, maybe they can offset the penalty of breaking the law of God, right? And they brought the fig leaves, they made some sort of uh, underwear from it, and they put it on, and hey, we're trying to do something about it, right? Now, Adam and Eve chose fig leaves, I don't know why, but it seems like fig leaves kind of large, so it seems like it's easier to, to sew together. We read that in 1 Kings 4.25. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Sitting under the fig tree, apparently it's very shady because the fig tree has large leaves, right? So Adam and Eve, when they fell, they started looking for a tree that has large leaves. They found the fig tree, they went there, they got some leaves, and they put it together, and they made themselves some underwear, right? But then God started coming, and he was looking for them. Now let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. When Adam and Eve were covered with these fig leaves, are they naked or they're covered? But they covered with the fig leaves, right? They're naked before the fig leaves. Now they have the fig leaves on. They're technically covered, right? But when God comes looking for them, Adam and Eve knew that even though they're kind of covered, this covering will not be good enough when they come before God, right? And you know what? This is exactly what good works does to us. We as a human race, we have not changed since Adam and Eve. Amen? When we fall in sin, when we do what is wrong, when we break the law of God, we immediately try to work. So this way we can cover up the wrongdoing. We can cover up sin, right? And just like in the days of Adam and Eve, the, the, the fig leaves was good to cover Adam in the eyes of Eve, right? And Eve in the, in the eyes of Adam, right? But neither one of them in the eyes of God, right? Right? And that's what good works does to us. Exactly. You seem like, oh, you're a church person. You go to church every week and, you know, you give to the poor. And here you are. I saw you helping a poor man in the street. And you do a lot of good works. And this good work makes you appear as a good person in front of your neighbors, in front of your family member. Right? Right? But these good works will never be able to cover you in the eyes of God. Amen? And that's man's attempts for salvation. Man tried to be saved, tried to make himself right with God through his works. But the Bible tells us very plainly and very clearly that you cannot be saved by trying by good works before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Why? Two reasons. Two reasons why good works cannot cover you before God or is not the way so you can be made right with God. Number one, good works doesn't meet God's standard, right? You might, you, it's good works is good when you compare yourself to me or me to you, Brother Francis and Cam. You can try to match up to see which one of us is better, right? But when it comes to God's standards, neither one of us can meet God's standards. Amen? I use this analogy. I might have told it to you guys before. Let's say there's a, a soda machine that says a dollar for a can of Pepsi. Brother Emmanuel has 80 cents and I have 10 cents. Which one of us can get a can of soda? No. Neither. But he has eight times what I have. Right? 
correct. He's better than me, but neither one of us match up to the standards, right? And God's standard is pretty simple. You want to be saved? You want to go to heaven based on your good works? It's really not that hard. All what you have to do is keep all the commandments all the time. If you can be perfect 100%, not sin one single time, then guess what? You'll make it to heaven on your own, right? The problem is no one can do that, right? No one can keep God's commandment, every single one of them, all the time. And just like that fig leaves that was able to cover Adam in front of Eve, and Eve in front of Adam, but neither one of them before God, good works does the exact same thing. It might might make you look better than me, or me better than you, but when it comes to God, we're all short. None of us, none of us can achieve the standards of God. We have an example for that in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah encountered God in in chapter 6. But before he encountered God in chapter 6, he was a prophet. He was serving God. And if you look at what he was doing, he was looking at every single sinful group in his nation. And he said, woe to this sinful group. Woe to that that sinful group. For example, Isaiah 3.11, woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him. Isaiah 5, 8, woe to those who join house to house, steal houses, manipulate to steal houses so you can add it to their own properties. Isaiah 5, 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after a strong drink. Isaiah 5, 18, woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. Isaiah 5, um, 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5.21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Isaiah 5.22. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. Fair enough, they're all sinful people. But look at Isaiah 6.5. Now Isaiah comes into the presence of God. And what does he say? Woe is me. me. For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Amen. You see, Isaiah thought that he's much better than everybody else when he compared himself to everybody else, right? But when he, come, when he came into the very presence of God, he found out his own filth. And he did not say, woe to other people. He said, woe to me. Good works cannot meet God's standard. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. When it comes to the standard of God and the holiness of God, good works cannot meet that. Amen? Not only that, But good works only does not solve the problem of the law. We have a big problem called the law of God, right? In our story, God told Adam, if you eat from that tree, you you will surely die, right? Now, God, they ate, they fell in that sin, they disobeyed God. God is walking in the garden, he's looking for them. And then God looks at them, the Bible says, and when he saw that they did their very best to try to redeem their mistake, and they were really able to sew the undergarment from the fig tree, God said this. He said, well, I told you you're going to die if you eat from that tree, but now that I see that you're sincere and you're trying to fix it, I'll let it go. Did the Bible say that? No. No. Good works, good trial didn't mean that the law of God, the penalty of broken the law of God has been dismissed. Amen? Amen? Do you see that? I use this analogy when I witness to people. It's like, let's imagine you go to the court. Let's say it's me and I robbed the bank. Okay? I commit the sin. I broke the law. I confess to it. I'm guilty of it. The cop caught me. He saw me. Hands and money in the safe. I know I am guilty and I'm standing before the judge. 
The fact that I'm guilty is not a question. I am guilty. There's no question about it, right? What's my option at this point before the judge? Nothing. I have to pay the penalty of breaking the law, right? If the law says you rob a bank, you go to jail for five years, then guess what's my option? I have to go to jail for five years. Well, if I got caught 20 years down the road, the judge is not going to ask me, what have you been doing in the last 20 years since you robbed the bank? He won't care about that, would he? Because he doesn't care how good of a person I am. He doesn't care how good I did since I broke that law. All what he cares about is one thing. Did I break the law or did I not break the law? Amen? And if I broke the law, I'm under the penalty of the law, right? And if I didn't break it, then I'm a free man. And that's precisely what can happen in the day of judgment. God going to measure each one of us, not by, not on a curve, not comparing you to me and take the type 50%, admit them into heaven, right? He's going to measure each one of us according to his commandment and in his, according to his law. And if you break the law of God one time, you are guilty before a holy and a righteous God. And it doesn't count how much good works you have done since then. You are still guilty before God. Amen. That's why the Bible says, look at this. Let's read with me a few scriptures. Romans 3.20. Here's what my Bible says. For by words of the law, every human being will be justified in his sight. Right? Does it say that? It doesn't. Let's read it again. Romans 3.20. For by the words of the law, every human being. No human being, not every human being, not even a one human being, no human being will be justified, be made right before God. Well, how about the sincere people who are like really, really doing their very best? How about you or me? Let's say you. Here you are at the church. I mean, you're doing a good thing, aren't you, right? You're trying to do the right thing. You're at church. You can have been out partying, but you choose to be at the church. Won't God count that for you and try to uh, cover up some of the sins you have done? Yeah. No, it doesn't work this way. It doesn't matter how good you try. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. The Bible is pretty clear. By, by the works of the law, not a single human being will be justified in the eyes of God. Amen? Yeah. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the result of your good works, right? It is not the result of your good works, because your good works can do nothing. Not a result of work. It's a gift of God, so no one may post. Amen? Second Timothy 1.9. God's... Paul speaking about Jesus, God, he said, who saved us and called us to a holy calling because of our good works, right? Not because of our good works, but according to his purpose and grace. Amen? Titus 3, 5. He saved us because of works done in our righteousness. Does the Bible say that? No. no works. He saved us, but it's not because of works done in our righteousness. Amen? You cannot be made right with God through the works, because works will fall very short to satisfy the law and the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. So Adam and Eve attempt to make themselves right with God by trying to do good things. They didn't do anything wrong after they ate from the tree, but that wasn't good enough. Amen? Amen. Man's attempt to achieve salvation will never, will never happen because salvation, it is not by works. Amen? Amen? So what is salvation about? Well, the Bible gives us a hint. In Genesis 3.20, the Bible says, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. Amen? 
When the fig leaves failed to cover Adam and Eve, God intervened and he did something. What does God do? He made tunic, garments of skin, and he covered them himself. Well, aren't they already covered? No, it doesn't count. It doesn't work. God needed to cover them himself. Amen? Now the question is, did God create these skins? Did, did God create these tunics, these garments? Or God actually like made it, made it. Like he sacrificed an animal and he used the skin of that animal to, to cover Adam and Eve. Well, let's look at it. The, the, the tricky part is this. The Hebrew word for the word made, God made tunics of skin here for them is asa, which almost synonymous to the word create. Actually, the Bible uses it interchangeably. For example, in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, the Bible say, um, let's see here, let us make, that's God saying, let us make, that's the word asa, Hebrew for asa, man in our own image after our own likeness. And then, so God created, that's the Hebrew word bara, man in his own image. So the word to make here that the Bible used in, in Genesis 3.20 is almost synonymous to the word create. It, it, it's interchangeable with the word create. So what does that mean? Did God create these tunics for them from nothing? No. Why? How do we know that God actually made these garments for them and not just created from nothing? I tell you why. Remember what happened after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden? And they have two children, Abel and Cain, right? And they both approaching God. They both have offering to God. Abel brings the fat, the fat portion of his flock, right? And Cain brings the fruit of the ground, right? And God looks with favor on Abel and accepts that blood sacrifice from him. And he does not accept the fruit offering that Cain is offering him, right? Question, where did Abel and Cain knew which way, how did Abel know which way is to approach God? And how to make God satisfied? How God really needs that blood sacrifice so he can accept it, right? You know, God went to Cain and he was blaming him. He's like, why are you upset with me? Kind of knew that coming in what you need to do, right? Kind of God blamed him for doing the wrong thing, right? So it's not like they didn't know and it just happened by accident. God told Cain in a way, you knew how to approach me, you just did it wrong, right? Because somehow Abel and Cain knew that the only way to approach God, to to come close to God is through a blood sacrifice, right? Where do you think they learned that from? It should be pretty simple. There were only four people, maybe Cain and Abel had some sisters and stuff, but other than that, they must have learned it from Adam and Eve, right? It ain't complicated, right? Where did they get it? How, what, where did Adam and Eve get it? Where did Adam and Eve knew that in order to approach God and offset the sin, there must be a blood sacrifice? And they went ahead and told that to Abel and Cain. I believe that they learned that when they, they themselves fell in sin and broke the law of God. And so God himself bringing an innocent sacrifice, slaughtering that sacrifice, making garment of skin, coats of skin for them, and covering both Adam and Eve. Amen? And that's God's way of covering sinful man before him. An innocent sacrifice take the punishment of those who actually sinned. And this very sacrifice, not just take the punishment, but it also have a different purpose. It covers the sinful person before a holy and a righteous God. Do you guys see that? Mm-hmm. The sacrifice had dual purposes. Number one, 
It took the punishment of Adam and Eve. But number two, it covered Adam and Eve. And it covered them not just before God, but also before each other, right? When Adam and Eve had that coat of skin. Now God is happier than the the figs of flea, the leaves of figs. And then Adam and Eve also are covered in front of each other, right? And that is a picture, a shadow of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. When God slaughtered that innocent animal and made garment of skin for Adam and Eve and covered them before his eyes and before each other's eyes, God was thinking about thousands and thousands of years later when his son Jesus will come from heaven, go to the cross and die for our sins so he can provide covering for you and me before the eyes of a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Let's look at that. The Bible tells us that Jesus took our punishment. Remember, the sacrifice took the punishment, covered them before God, covered them before before each other. And that's precisely what Jesus did. He took our punishment on the cross. Look at this. Just two examples. Zechariah 13, 7. Now, in that verse, it's a prophecy. God is speaking. And he's talking to the sword of his punishment. How do we know that the sword here represents the punishment of God? Because the very first time, the very first time we read about sword in the Bible, anybody knows? It's in Genesis 3. Right after God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he had a sword of fire turning everywhere, protecting the entrance of the garden so they won't come back, right? So that sword represents the judgment of God. And now that very sword, that very judgment of God, God is speaking to it now in Zechariah 13, 7. And he said, awake, look at this, O sword against my shepherd against the man who stands next to me. Let's pause for a second here. You're talking about the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ, even in the Old Testament, not even in the New Testament, that Old Testament. God is saying, awake, O sword, O my shepherd, on the man who stands next to me. The Hebrew for it, for it is like, the man who stands on the bar with me. My co-equal. Think about that. My co-equal. You see that? God, in the Old Testament, saying, there's somebody else who's my co-equal. Goes who that is. It's the Lord Jesus. Amen? Not a big amen? He is God's co-equal. Amen? Who, and the man who stands next to me and declares the Lord of hosts. And then it says, struck Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's literally what happened on the cross. Jesus was struck for our sake and all his disciples were scattered. And then it says, and I will turn my hand against the little one. I will restore my hand from punishing the sheep. Why? Because the sword has fell on the shepherd, on God's co-equal. Amen? And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took our punishment. We sinned against God, but he came, took our own punishment on the cross. So we can be let go free. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. This is what Paul said. Just one example from the New Testament. For I delivered to you of first, um, of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for his own sins, right? He died for our sins. According to the scripture, Jesus went to the cross so he can die for whose sin? Our sin. And he took our punishment on that cross. And just like there was an innocent lamb slaughtered in the very garden so God can put the punishment that Adam and Eve rightly deserved, God transferred that punishment into an innocent lamb as a picture of what Jesus is going to do when he comes down from heaven to take our punishment on the cross. Amen? Not only that. 
But this lamb provided a covering for Adam and Eve before God. Far much better than this figs of, the leaves of fig. Amen? What did Jesus do? Did he do the same thing? You better believe it. Look at this. First John 2, 1 to 2. Here is what John said. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, this applies to you and me, amen. We have a defense attorney. We have an advocate with the Father. Who is that defense attorney? Jesus Christ. How does he look like? The righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is what? A propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is the same thing like atonement. literally means covering. Think about this. Think about this. John was saying not that the righteousness of Christ is our propitiation before God. Right? He didn't say we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, and his righteousness is our propitiation. He didn't say that, right? He said that Jesus Christ the righteous himself is our covering before God. Do you see that? So when you and I sin, and Satan go like, you know, blab to God about our sins, God look at Brother Emmanuel, and he's like Satan, summons Satan in, and he says, you tell me that Emmanuel have sinned? It's like, yeah, God, he just said a bad word. And God look at Brother Emmanuel, and he says, I don't see any sin in him. All what I see is Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? Because Jesus is our covering before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? And just like that lamb that was slaughtered, the animal that was slaughtered in the garden that satisfied the wrath of God and provided covering to Adam and Eve before the holy and the righteous God, so is Jesus Christ. He's the lamb of God who died on the cross to take our penalty and he is our covering before a holy and a righteous God. This is good news, folks. Amen? Amen? Now, here's the thing. Every time you share the gospel with somebody, and you start telling them that salvation is not by works. And all what you have to do is just, you know, take advantage of what Jesus has done on the cross. The immediate question will be, well, what does that mean? I don't need to do good works anymore, right? And, you know, they start quoting that verse to you. Faith without works is dead. So they say, well, if, if salvation is by Jesus alone, then that means I don't need to do good works. And that's not even biblical. What they miss out is this. Amen? Think about this. That very lamb, that very covering that was taken from that innocent sacrifice did not just provide covering before a holy and a righteous God, it also provided covering in front of each one. Amen? Do you see that? That coats of skin covered Adam before Eve and Eve before Adam. Amen? And in the same manner, Jesus died on the cross and through his blood we can have salvation and his very, he himself, the righteous, will be our covering before God. But that very Jesus who will cover you before God will also change your heart before man. Amen? It's a one package deal. You don't get to pick and choose. Oh, I want Jesus to cover me before God, but I don't want, I want him to leave me alone when it comes to how I live my life. Amen? It doesn't work this way. He changes you before God and change your life or you don't take anything at all. Right? Right? And this is what these garments of skin did. They covered sinful men before a holy God, but it also covered them before each other. Let me show you one example. First Peter 4, 3 to 4. This is what Peter said. For we, who's we? That's Peter, his audience, and everybody else he's talking, including himself, okay? 
We have spent enough time of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Peter is saying, we live the wicked, sinful life. You and me, just like everybody else. But look at this. Our present lifetime. Did he say that? For we have, the, for we have spent enough of our present lifetime, right? No, past lifetime. He's saying, we were wicked like everybody else. But the key word here is not wicked. It is where we past lifetime did that. When we are walking, right? When we walked already past tense in the lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abdominal, um, abdominal idolatries. He said, we did that in the past. What happened, Peter? Are you still doing it? Not anymore. Amen? He said, as a matter of fact, we have been radically changed. We have been radically transformed. That the people around us are so amazed and shocked at the change that happened to us. He continues to say, in regard to these, they think it what? Strange. It's odd. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's shocking that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Do you see that? Paul, Peter is saying, we're just like everybody else who's just doing all sorts of wickedness, but we have encountered the living Christ, and we have been transformed once and for all. The world doesn't know what to make of it. They're shocked. He said, Brother Emmanuel used to go with me drinking all the time. But now he's going to church. He quit drinking and now he's a new man. He's going to church. And every time I go to talk to him, he's telling me about Jesus. What in the world has happened to him? Why don't you do the exact same thing that you used to do with me in the past? You know why? Because the living Christ has transformed us and we have become brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? Jesus, the Lamb of God, not just took our sins before God, He also covered our sins before a holy and a righteous God. And not only that, He transformed our lives and our hearts when we come to Him. Amen? It's all God. From the very beginning to the very end, salvation is God's plan and only can be done through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But the last part is, Okay, so God did it all in Jesus. Do I have to do anything about this? Yes, you have to. There's part that you have to play. What is my part? Well, let's look a little bit at the story of Abel and the story of Cain, right? Again, somehow God punished, God punished Cain for presenting fruit of his own toil and not presenting a blood sacrifice, like fat portion of a fat sacrifice, right? Because Abel and Cain was under the assumption that if you want to approach God, if you want to approach God, you have to bring a blood sacrifice like what exactly happened in the garden. Amen? Amen. Now, think about this. They were bringing what? Offerings. They were doing something nice. They didn't have to do it. God did not demand offering. There is no command say, thou shalt bring offering to me, right? It's just out of the genuineness, the kindness of their heart, they decided to do something good. They decided to bring a gift to God, right? So Abel brought a blood sacrifice and Cain brought the fruit of his toil, right? Even though they both knew how to approach God, each one of them had to make a decision of if they're going to accept God's way or if they're still going to try to approach God in their own terms. Amen? Amen. Abel chose to obey God's way. And he remembered the story of Adam and Eve and how their own works did not work. And God had to sacrifice an innocent animal to atone for them. And he said, you know what? If that's God's way, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to approach him on his terms. Amen? Cain was a little bit different. 
Cain heard the same story that Abel heard. But he didn't care to approach God the same way. He's too arrogant and he said, you know what? You know what? That's good, but I'm still going to bring him. He didn't ask for my fruit. I'm going to bring it to him, but I'm going to bring it to him in my own terms, right? And what happened? God did not accept it from him, right? And it's the exact same thing happening today. God has provided a complete and perfect salvation to every single dying human soul in this world through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Now it's up to you what to do with it. You can either humble yourself and say, God, my good works is not good enough. It will never cover me before your eyes. Therefore, I humble myself and I approach you based on your way and through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Or you can be like Cain. It's like, God, I don't care what you did for me. I don't care what's your way. I don't care what's your terms. I'm going to approach you in my way. And I'm going to still try to work my way to heaven. Amen? But I have to tell you, the very God who rejected Cain for trying to do that, the very God who rejected Adam and Eve when they tried to do that, he will still reject your ways because your good works is not good enough and your good works will never solve the problem of the punishment of sin. Amen? You want to hear some sad news? Some of you will do today the exact same thing that Cain did. Some of you today, just hear that word, hear these words, and they will still leave and say, I still don't want nothing to do with Jesus. And you'll go your way and say, I'm going to try to figure it out on my own. Just like Cain. Don't do it. You have the option to do just that today, and then it's going to be your loss. Or, Or you can just humble yourself and come to God just through the blood of Jesus, just like Abel. And you can just say these simple words of this amazing song. It says, just as I am, God, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark plot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am poor, wretched, blind, but citing riches and healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. It's your call. It's your call. So close our eyes. And we spend a couple of more minutes in prayer.